0: it's all on the surface baby episode three for Tuesday March 30th 2021 I am your host Lee and as always we have a grab bag of topics to get to little uh little ASMR for the boys oh. <laughs> uh cracking the the tab on a rock star pure zero in the new can they were acquired by Pepsi I believe it was and they're uh, rolling out their new cans now no problem with it except for that the label on the Killer Grape, which is maybe still in the running for best energy drink of all time in terms of just pure soda flavor. Um, they changed the label. They got rid of the grippy, the grippy label and uh, replaced it with a, a kind of standard aluminum can label. I don't know if I've told my story about those uh, matte finish. So in my g- gas station... Uh, no, I did tell this story. I told this story on Public Beta Podcast about this happens all the time. Uh, so I will notice that these new cans, these these slippery, regular uh, aluminum cans, do not get punctured in my local gas station when I go to purchase them. Of course, this energy drink in particular was ordered from 7-Eleven. Ordered from 7-Eleven? Yes, that's right. I decided uh, to do some chores around the house yesterday at lunch, and instead of just running down to the gas station like a normal person, uh, I, I put on a monocle... And uh, got a stack of money and decided uh, to order from 7-Eleven to have another human being go to Seven Eleven for me. And I understand this is a common practice in uh, heavily populated urban places around uh, North America. Uh, New York, you know, you might have someone, uh, you know, run your groceries to you, etc. And we do grocery delivery here as well. It's not like we're in the fucking Stone Ages. Uh, But ordering a bunch of beef jerky and and chocolate bars and some hot wings and uh, energy drinks and have a man deliver them to my doorstep. That was something new. And uh, you know what? I thank him for it. Living here in the Frankie Valley. Called that because we experienced all four seasons in the last 24 hours. We went from plus 18 degrees Celsius to... To a blustery negative 17 here with 90 kilometer an hour winds. I have a Chihuahua. Had to make sure she was well weighted before going outside to pee. Uh, there's the Trans Canada Highway. The one road is a complete mess. 50 to 70 car pileup in Alberta, I'm hearing. I don't know how there can be a swing of 20 vehicles. That seems like, just go count it again. Uh, Is it closer to 50 or 70? Or tell me the exact number. That sounds awful. I hope everybody is safe and doing well out there. Uh, Everybody, of course, here rushes to put on their summer tires to people from uh, more temperate climates. uh, We have two sets of tires for our vehicles. You have your winter tires, a little more grippy. For the ice and then the summer tires, which would be your standard tires. I rock all seasons and that doesn't mean I'm some uh, genius or anything. In fact, they are not great in the winter, uh, but they are better than summer tires for for driving in all kinds of weather. But I digress. Our first story is uh, we're going all the way to France, to Paris. I've been to Paris very briefly, took the tunnel from London, which is, you know, can be harrowing. It's a cement tunnel under the ocean. Uh, from <laughs> from, uh, from London to Paris, and then spent a couple days there. Saw the the bigger sights. Crammed it all into uh, two days of a uh, of a school trip. That was an optional school trip. Loved Paris. Loved the architecture. Loved the city. Uh, the food is weird. It's of course French cuisine is is world renowned. It's amazing, and and it is. It's incredible. But it is different. Uh, it is is different than most most foods I've had anywhere else on the planet. And that's including just having come from London, where I don't know what their food is. I don't know what the food profile, the Spotted Dick, Tea and Crumpets, Bangers and Mash, a lot of blander foods, or weird things made of fish. Uh, I don't know what their, you, know, you know, Paris, France, uh, butter in everything, cheeses, breads, cream, sauces. Uh, it's all incredible, except what we're talking about today is not food. It's, in fact, Lego. What do you guys know about Lego? Love Lego whole life love lego uh they have those new lego creator uh sets now there's a a bonsai tree and then like a bouquet of flowers i don't know if they've expanded that they do like uh ships and bottles and stuff so like stuff more for mature audiences uh but no they're cool display pieces on top of being a legit uh lego set and uh i've been keeping an eye on amazon here and always seem to miss the uh the bonsai by a few minutes because obviously if you don't grab them at $70, which I believe is Canadian SRP, you're going to be paying, paying double at least. And that leads us into uh, into our story here. French police on trial... Trail? <laughs> the first news story I've read of the new Tits of the Iceberg, and I've already fucking blown it. French police on a trail of international gang of LEGO looters. Three suspects reportedly said they were part of a team specializing in stealing collectible sets. So... Hmm. Much like... Pokemon cards have come back in such a big way, and that has led to a whole new batch of Pokemon card scalpers. Lego has always had this going on. Uh, Limited sets, people just buying up what stores receive uh, to flip them on on online marketplaces and stuff like that. This is nothing new. However, taking them and not paying for them is is something I am not as aware of. Uh, French police say... They are building a case, no pun intended, against an international gang of toy thieves specializing in stealing Lego. They've warned specialist shops and even parents to be aware of a global trade in the bricks. The alert comes from uh, comes after officials arrested three people, a woman and two men, in the process of stealing boxes of Lego from a toy shop in uh, Yvelines, Yev- Outside Paris. Yvelines, Okay, sure. Last June. Uh, under questioning, the suspects, all from Poland... Got those Polish people, man. They they've played us. We think they can't even screw in a light bulb. Meanwhile, they have massive global Lego toy theft rings. Uh, reportedly uh, admitted that they were part of a team specializing in stealing Lego sought by collectors. The Lego community isn't just made up of children. One investigator told Le Parisian newspaper, uh, "There are numerous adults who play with it. There are swaps and sales on the internet. We've also had people complaining their homes have been broken into." and Lego stolen. The arrested gang were first reported in France in November 2019, and again in February of 2020. They come to France, set up in a hotel in the Paris region, uh, then set about raiding toy stores before returning to Poland to sell off their haul, the officer said. Gerben van Izikin Sure. Uh, a Lego specialist who advises uh, the online auction platform for buying and selling collectibles says uh, sales on the French site doubled last year. in uh, Investing in these pieces... So, so is that like Amazon for France? Uh, but more of like an eBay, I guess? Uh Investing in these pieces isn't new, uh, but this niche market has reached new heights with the pandemic. People have more time at home because of health restrictions and the game market has exploded. We often have more than 1,000 LEGO sales a week. I'm assuming that sets, not individual pieces. Uh, There's always uh, been dealing in LEGO. Yeah. uh, Because it's a premium toy range and attracts many adults. And also because the company uh, withdraw its collections around two years after they come out. So a secondhand market is inevitable. He added, The phenomenon has exploded over the last eight years because people have realized they can make money reselling LEGO on the internet. This is all very surface level stuff. Uh, Lego looting appears to be a global business, according to the reports in the United States, Canada, and Australia, where numerous thefts have been reported over the last five years. In 2005, San Diego police arrested a group of women found to have 200,000 euros worth of Lego. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to buy and resell, to be there for those uh, those clutch Amazon restocks and then flip the thing for 100% profit. It's another thing to just walk into the store and, I guess, take the thing and then at that point... It's all profit, baby. Uh, But that's awful. And uh, if you see a shortage on things like this on Amiibo cards, oh my god. They did these Sanrio Amiibo cards uh, for Animal Crossing New Horizons. And they made it a retailer exclusive. And there were barely any available. And people are pissed. And this doesn't appear to be something they're going to offer as a digital uh, DLC either. You have to find a physical set of these cards Uh, Your your boy pre-ordered them pretty early and have a few extras, Uh, but all the same, uh, that's bad. That's uh, shitty consumer practices, especially when people are ultra-aware, and suddenly you think you're making enough for the people who want it, but no, in fact, you've made enough for, let's say, generously, uh, a third of of the people who want it, and the other two thirds are being bought and held for resale, and... uh, yeah, I mean that's part of that's part of what drives sales for these items, though, right? Is the limited edition nature? You have Nintendo recently even getting into just putting a hard date. March thirty first is the day Mario dies. They're they're turning off the servers for Super Mario Maker uh, on the Wii U. They are discontinuing Super Mario 3D All-Stars on the eShop. You'll still be able to find physical copies, but not at a Nintendo store where they will actually be pulled from the shelves, and they are allegedly also doing away with Mario 35, which was a cool little fun thing that they should just leave available free to online subscribers forever, but I digress.
1: (laughs) Hey, Reed here again for Lee's podcast with my bullshit anime segment with the weird intro. So this week we're going over another fantastic series by Sinichiro, I think I pronounced that right, Watanabe, the famed director of Cowboy Bebop and Space Dandy. So Samurai Champloo is a very unique anime, it takes place in the Edo era of Japan during the waning years of the samurai. What's unique about this anime, and anybody that's seen will be able to tell you that, is its soundtrack. This game has a very heavy influence of Americana hip-hop stuff. So one of the main characters, for example, his fighting style is heavily based off of breakdancing. There's record scratches for the scene transitions in this anime, and lots of heavy drums, beats. Uh, The soundtrack being mainly carried by Nujibus and supported by Fat John, Force of Nature, and Tuseshi. I can't pronounce the last one. Uh, Anybody that knows Nujibis knows if you go to YouTube, you'll find that he has millions of views and people have often called him the grandfather of lo-fi and chill-hop. So, Samurai Champloo, besides the soundtrack, is awesome for just its characters and easy breezy going story. It's very much an episodic anime where each episode does not relate to the next one, typically. There is an overarching plot, but it's incredibly simple. So, in this anime, there's three main characters. There's Fu, who is a young teenage girl who hires the other two main characters to help her search for the samurai who smells of sunflowers. And, as everybody knows, sunflowers do not have a scent. So, it's a, it's a very loose plot. Um, the two bodyguards she hires, essentially, are Mugen and Jin. Mugen is a rough-and-tumble very crass, very loud and vulgar criminal from the Riku Islands who has a very unique fighting style to disrupt his enemies, predictions and essentially is a very fun guy who just wants to fight and prove his worth. On the counterpoint to him is Jin. Jin is a classically trained samurai who is now a ronin who values pride, uh honor above everything else and is trying to find a new master that can really uh be worthy of his sword unfortunately for him no such master exists in this point in japan anymore uh and th- that's basically that's basically the show to be honest is these three characters going on wacky adventures each week trying to attain this goal that is only really obtain- uh, touched upon in the last two episodes but anybody that's watching it knows that it's an incredibly good anime with very good characterization and character development. Three characters who have no purpose or direction in life, finding it on the journey for the samurai who smells the sunflowers. Three people who have found, who had no family and found it in each other. It's a very classic tale, but it's incredibly well done. Um, I highly recommend this to anybody who loves very fun action anime. The fighting sequences are incredibly good it's an anime knows knows exactly when it needs to be funny when it needs to be serious and when it needs to be sad um anybody that's seen cowboy Bebop pop will know that it follows a similar structure with just as enjoyable characters and just as good dramatic moments so please go check this out you can find it fucking everywhere i believe it used to be on netflix but you can find it on blu-ray and dvd anywhere it's readily available funimation also has the entire series up on their youtube if you are in the states i believe so yeah, please go check out Samurai Cham Bloom, one of the best animes ever made. There's
0: a new Monster Hunter on the market, Monster Hunter Rise, which is the sixth main Monster Hunter game, I believe. They are they are considering it with world. Being the uh, fifth, and then of course you have Monster Hunter one through four. Of course, we didn't get Monster Hunter two, and let's take it all the way back. Monster Hunter came out on the PS two, I believe, like in the in the two thousand two range, uh, maybe a little later than that. maybe It was two thousand four. It was a little later game, uh, but since the beginning, uh, this game has found a, a way to use uh, texture maps and. Uh, c- making the area smaller, uh, making the actual area you're interacting with smaller so that there's a sense of an open world, uh, but, th- but they're using bells and whistles and tricks to make this game look great on any platform. Is This is in complete, a complete side, uh, to, to what I'm about to talk about with Monster Hunter, but it's something that this, this series has always had, and it's something that I always have to look to, uh, when I feel bad that we aren't moving up with Monster Hunter, that consistently Monster Hunter is going to go where the players are and put their product there. And what I mean by that is with Monster Hunter World being on PC and PS4 and Xbox uh, One and looking a certain way, of course going to the Switch is a huge downgrade uh, in terms of visual fidelity and uh, what you can have rendered on on screen, the visuals and stuff like that. Obviously it is, but I think it should be more of a drastic change because uh, from what I've seen of Monster Hunter Rise so far, it looks fine. It looks great. Obviously, if you saw them side by side, I'm sure you'd be like, "Well, yeah, one obviously looks better." Rise is also coming to the PC at some point, which we'll probably see uh, some enhanced, uh, what have you, fidelity and whatnot. Uh, it apparently, will be a console exclusive to the Switch, which means that in Japan, the Switch has now just stepped on the jugular of the Xbox and PlayStation. Uh, starting on the PS2, Monster Hunter was insanely popular. Uh, mostly in Japan. Over here, it was a little bit impenetrable. It was a little bit cryptic. Uh, But it was an online PS2 game, a game that me and uh, Taras, who you might know from very previous episodes of Just the Iceberg Podcast, uh, played a whole hell of a lot of. He even had one summer where he definitely eclipsed me in playtime in that game. And uh, we had a great time with it. It was a fantastic game. Since then, of course, the PS2 servers have been shut down so that you can still play the offline portion of the game. But there are large uh, parts of that game in the event uh, category that you you will never be able to touch again. So there are actual monsters and stuff you cannot fight in that game. I don't know if there's a way to activate those quests using su- such thing as a game shark or an action replay. Haven't looked into it. Uh, but the, those game those games definitely. Work with a game Shark or an action replay, let me tell you. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if somehow in the game's code you were able to force a fight with the Kirin or the Laoshan or uh, the the online-only stuff. Uh, but in the original game, you're basically defending the village, uh, fighting uh, stronger monsters and impressing the Elder there until you get the Hero Blade and fight the monobloss, which I believe was the the kind of final boss of that Um there were some other Elder Dragons... The, the idea of Elder Dragons were introduced in that first game. Uh, the game didn't use the face buttons for attacking. It used uh, directional inputs on the stick to do your attacking, which is very strange now. Something that uh, a game called Too Human also had, and some other games have had, of course, since then. Uh, but at the time, it was, it was very interesting. A very interesting choice of how to use your second stick. Especially in an action game where there's no lock-on on the monster. Uh, that you would actually map your camera to, to something like that is... Fucking insane. And then also, when the PSP games came out and they used the face buttons because of their lack of a second stick, that actually became the default, I think, for most fans at that point. Now, In Japan, they of course got a sequel to Monster Hunter in Monster Hunter 2, a game that has never been localized over here. And we also missed at least two other Monster Hunter games that I know about. I've never really thoroughly looked into this because with a Monster Hunter game, as long as you're playing the most updated form of Monster Hunter, you're doing alright. The specifics of the story and the setting and stuff like that not so important and if they are uh i believe there's a game called monster hunter generations that might be for you that is basically a uh catch-all of those areas and uh a bit of nostalgia for for long-term fans jumping into monster hunter a lot of people did it with monster hunter world it was a huge success capcom uh you know was revitalized there, there was talks of capcom like being bought out uh by like a microsoft or something like that prior to the success of monster hunter. and then those talks just kind of faded into the uh the ether uh The second Monster Hunter game uh, was always something I considered importing. Of course, you'd have to get a PS2 uh, with it as it was a region-locked console, if if memory serves. Uh, But they had some new monsters and stuff like that that they later put into other iterations of the game. And then, of course, the game jumped over to PSP. There was an MMO PC-only version of Monster Hunter for a time. I know in Japan they also ported the PSP games directly to the PS3 for native play there. You could also plug a PSP into a TV with coax or, or the composite cables or whatever, and then use a DualShock 3 on your PSP. And let me tell you, I saw some visuals that rivaled the PS2 uh, doing this when I I was playing it. Of course, if you're going to play Monster Hunter on the PSP for long periods of time, you're probably going to want to get a setup like that. Great games. Uh, The other game we missed was uh, Freedom 3, I think, which had more of a traditional Japanese setting or style or motif, which which brings us to Monster Hunter Rise, uh, which definitely has a heavy... Uh, Japanese motif to it, and is one of the weirder Monster Hunters I've ever played in setting and characters and structure uh, and soundtrack and everything to do with that. I don't know if that's the reason they didn't localize that game. Of course, they did end up localizing Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, which is a fantastic game. The series, unfortunately, never saw uh, the light of day on the Vita. You could remote play, I guess, but uh, they never released a, a proper Monster Hunter on the Vita that I am aware of. Other than playing the old PSP ones on there. So that was a kick to the nuts of the Vita. We all know how that went. Uh, Monster Hunter, of course, appeared on the 3DS multiple times. And uh, those were the games I played the least. Uh, the 3DS ones had had all the same... Had, had the same bells and whistles. Had the same loop. Had the blah, 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 blah. Uh, just that was not a console I, I really enjoyed playing Monster Hunter on, even though I played the shit out of it on PSP, so I don't know what my problem was. But uh, Wii and Wii U saw the release of Try, the third Monster Hunter game, which uh, included underwater combat and stuff like that. And then we went back to the, the 3DS for 4 and 5, of course. World and Rise, here we are. So the difference here is um, all the weapon types are back, as far as I can tell. Uh, The game and gameplay is structured like World, it plays like World, it's got that that physics-y engine to it, and uh, the quick picking things up and stuff like that. So that's all there, that's all good. The stuff that's missing from World seems very numerous, all the extra stuff around the outside, as far as I know you can't uh, plant a farm, grow a farm anymore, that kind of stuff. Uh, again, the, the structure of the game, where you go to get everything in this game, is, is quite strange. And I'll talk a little bit more about it on Public Beta Podcast. But the core of uh, Monster Hunter is there. The armor sets are there. They've given you another companion in a palico, which is a giant dog you can ride. People are mortal- mortalizing their pets in this game. Of course, you do get a cat as well and uh, you can build them armor and stuff like that. They uh, they build armor based on the scraps of the armor you are building yourself, which is a cool little feature that I don't think was in previous games. Being able to ride your Palico... Uh, or, no, Palamute. Sorry. Palico is the cat. Palamute is the dog. Being able to ride your Palamute into combat, uh, vault off the back of it like a Yoshi. Uh, you have a wire bug, which is basically like an all-purpose grappling hook. You can use it to jump in the air, more or less, uh, and also to grapple to points... And you can wall run as well, you can run straight up walls, not unlike Peter Parker's Spider-Man in the most recent release on the PS4. So that stuff's all cool, the traversal stuff is cool, the levels are open, like they were in World, however there's a lot more verticality in this game, uh, which might be to the benefit of the Switch. I don't know how, in terms of rendering, if it's in front of me, I can see it, if it's above me, I would have to go out of my way to see it. Uh, and I'm seeing the same stuff in the far distance in terms of rendering distance. That the, the same tricks they used on the PS2 with texture maps and using 2D things. And someone will complain about it, obviously. It's like, look at this bullshit. Look at the cars in Cyberpunk and how they're cardboard cutouts when they're far enough away. I think that shit looks fun as hell. And if you aren't caring about it so much, it it looks rad and it accomplishes its goal. Um I like when video games do that. I like in uh, open world games of any kind where you can see into the storefront when games started doing kind of a diorama thing where they would put a pane of glass and then some space and then a like forced perspective texture map to look like there's a restaurant or something inside. I fucking love that and Monster Hunter does that with far off vistas and monsters and stuff and it's something that they've had since the PS2 version. I think it's excellent and it's why this game is perfectly serviceable on a Switch And has already sold, what, 4 million copies? So Monster Hunter doesn't need our help. Man, Monster Hunter, though, if you're a Monster Hunter fan, get yourself to Japan. Uh, Like I always say, if if you're a Canadian, your local sports team in the NHL, the way you would go into a shopper's drug mart or something like that into a Walmart and see uh, uh, an end cap or two, a display of that stuff. Like, they can sell mugs with logos on it all day long. They can sell pillows and, and all kinds of nonsense. Um... As long as it bears an NHL logo on it, it's a, a, a cutting board, a, a bottle, a, a cozy for your for your for your can. Which reminds me, take a little sippy of this rock star. Mm. All that kind of stuff. Uh, here with hockey is there with Monster Hunter. There there is an end cap display in most convenience you go into, like a 7-Eleven. that will just be a Monster Hunter display. It's got some little figures for sale, like blind box stuff. It's got some other little keychains and, and trinkets and stuff like that. Just there's a demand for Monster Hunter everywhere you go. And the crazy thing about Japan is, like, these convenience stores are every block uh, or less in more urban places, like, across the street from one another. And for all of them to be able to support an end cap uh, that just sells Monster Hunter is fucking insane. And uh, we can, I can get more into If anybody finds it interesting to learn about Japan um, and, and traveling there, I don't know how different it will be now, uh, but it's a place I've been multiple times... And uh, Monster Hunter, as a Monster Hunter fan, uh, always, always loved to see it. And uh, Dragon Quest is the same way. Dragon Quest is popular in the, in the same way that you, you'll see little displays of it everywhere. Um, Universal Studios had a pop-up. So there, there's an area of Universal Studios, and I don't know if they have it in North America. I assume that they do. But an area of the uh, park that's like, almost like sound stages. Uh, that is strictly for pop-up attractions. So usually not a ride, usually something you walk through or a restaurant or or something. And when I was there, they had a Monster Hunter one. Uh, it was awesome. They had like a huge Kirin statue on the outside. They had a, a, a little thing selling Monster Hunter inspired food. You would go inside and you would play a live, a live version of Monster Hunter where you're kind of on the bow of a ship shooting harpoons at a passing by monster that's on a huge screen. So you would stand at like your little podium thing. And you would play like a little interactive game up. Uh, the real reason you would go is to see all the really cool stuff they have uh, rendered IRL. Uh, so when you're in the waiting room and 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 throughout. They have weapons and uh, monster hunter trinkets and and uh, merch and stuff like that. Not stuff you can buy mind you. But just stuff on the walls that looks really cool to, uh, to see rendered in real life. Um, and uh, that, that was awesome. And I would say that. On average, that was a very quiet day for Universal Studios. When you think of a theme park in Japan, y- you think of a packed... Uh, exp- not the case. I think the, the longest we waited for any ride was maybe in the Harry Potter world. And it was like an hour. But this Monster Hunter thing what like, seemed to have con- people constantly moving through it. Like, you, you came all the way to Universal Studios. This thing was old, too. Like, this, this had been around for a while uh, when we visited it. And it was still one of the bigger attractions uh, to go check out. Monster Hunter is a fucking... Huge phenomenon over there, and uh, glad to see Rise is doing well, and obviously now the Switch will just take over. Switch Pro, you think it's inevitable? Probably. It's a matter of timing with the Switch Pro, in my opinion. Do you go through another holiday pushing your current Switch, knowing that you maybe have something out a few months later, and what does that mean for games and exclusives and What does that mean for making a Nintendo-ass Nintendo decision to release a console four years into the original Switch's lifespan that, uh, like the new 3DS, will have exclusive games and stuff like that? I don't know. Highly curious myself. Oh, it was Wednesday night, and you know what that means. Wednesday night, March 24th, 2021's edition of... AEW Dynamite, let's talk about it, taking place in Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. They've announced a house show, the first ever in AEW history will be taking place uh, there during WrestleMania weekend, I believe. Britt Baker's bleeding face from the uh, Lights Out match has been edited into the show opening, which is which is great. Kenny Omega versus Matt Seidel to start things off. Omega with a self-indulgent intro. JR says, uh, as his granny would say, don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back. Seidel beat Nakazawa on dark elevation to earn this match. Apparently, that's still going strong. You you get one singles victory, and you are entitled to a title match. Which I believe this was. I don't know if it was ever mentioned after the, the match started. Um... I was pretty sure this was a title match for whatever reason. Don Callis joins announce desk for this one. The announcers are getting uh openly hostile with him at this point, which is which is a lot of fun. Excalibur notes that Omega and Sydell work a similar style. However, Omega's got him beat on a power strength scale. Callis is a great heel on commentary. I love how he goes quiet when Kenny is near losing. Thunder Spiral from Sydell gets a very close near fall. Kenny overpowers poor Matt Sydell. Winged Angel and the champion retains. I guess if this was in fact. A title match. Marvez interviews John Silver and the Dark Order, who are just like comedy babyfaces at this point. Uh, Silver dismisses Marvez and continues to practice dodging the coffin drop. Hangman Page is there with some words of encouragement. What a babyface this John Silver is. Hangman Page with Caesar Bononi in a match. Bononi has a real good look as a uh, as a big man. Some miscommunication in this match, however. Hangman eventually smashes uh, Caesar with a buckshot lariat for the pin. From earlier today, Lance Archer is in a collapsed building calling out Sting. Maybe he was looking for Sting, who also has a penchant for collapsed buildings. Britt Baker and Tony do a promo interview kind of thing together, which is weird, uh, in that Britt Baker is being congratulated for the match she had, which makes sense in a shoot point of view, like, hey, both people in this wrestling match did a good job and made a really good wrestling match. But in storyline, Britt Baker is the loser, so why are we congratulating her? Seems a little strange. Congratulating the effort, I guess. Um, But in wrestling, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, She does have a cool line here where she uh, says, Hey, McFoley, thanks for the thumbs up, but I did in one night what took you 20 years to do or something like that. But Baker is on fire. Pinnacle are up next. But first, uh, Christian is backstage with the Varsity Blondes and Dante Martin. Dasha excuses herself from this scene. Frankie Kazarian pops up, asks, When the work starts, Christian... Christian and him uh, have an uncomfortable few moments. Christian eventually challenges him to a match next week. Frankie Kazarin says, I have a match on Elevation this week. You should watch that. Was it Elevation or Dark? Can't keep him straight. Dante Martin and the Varsity Blondes versus Pinnacle, which today will uh, consist of FTR and Sean Spears. They have new music that sounds like like Street Fighter V menu music. Tully, MGF, and Wardlow stalk the ring. Death Valley Driver to Martin from Spears and the Pinnacle wins here. Uh, Wardlow murders Pillman after the match. And uh, promos are cut by multiple Pinnacle members. Seems like a strong group. No response from the Inner Circle on this uh, particular episode of Dynamite. That'll probably be next week. And that's just how they tell stories. Team Taz and the boys backstage. Talking about a storyline that doesn't take a break. Anything to do with Team Taz and Sting. Uh, Team Taz and the boys are backstage all as well. After... uh, Brian Cage stepped on the line last week and uh, had a moment of respect for Sting and said, Hey, Sting, you know what? You're all right. Uh, And then Taz took offense to that. They've apparently smoothed things over. Everybody has got shit-eating grins here. uh, Through through forced smiles, they say, all is well. Brian Cage ends it with a who better. Q. T. Marshall. I was ahead of the curve on this (laughs) last week when I uh, announced who... Why... (laughs) <laughs> Why the fuck am I supposed to care about QT Marshall? QT Marshall, and nothing against the guy. As I said last episode, he's uh, been a huge support for them. Uh, but when it comes to him as a character, as a pushed pro wrestler in AEW, what's going on here? Are we to believe he should be? He's a fine, he's a fine like worker from what we've seen of him. But are we to believe he he is meant to be a competitive, in-the-mix wrestler? And if is it his point of view that he should be? Is there a little bit of truth in this promo he cuts about only being Cody's friend? Either way, I have a lot of problems with this promo, regardless of all that. He comes out and and acknowledges his wife in the crowd... And says, uh, you know, it's hard to to be working all the time and not to go home to my wife. His, his like, high school sweetheart or something like that. And points her to the crowd. Lovely. Okay. Uh, Wasn't this man involved with a, like, love angle with a bunny a few months ago? Okay. It really makes driving the high school sweethearts thing uh, home weird. When this man was, was, uh, Whatever. Same thing as Sean Spears, basically. It's Sean Spears being like, oh, Cody says I'm a good hand. I'm a good friend. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then QT says something about meaningless bumps, uh, which I mean he's referring to what he does behind the scenes versus what he does in the ring, because this man is never in the ring. I don't know. Cody comes out, thankfully, to save this segment. Arm is in a sling. Agrees to give Marshall an exhibition match next week, uh, which is what he wants. And uh, yeah. So QT Marshall comes out here and disparages the company with Tony Schiavone. Uh, Says he has a wife, even though he was involved with the Bunny a few months later. Uh, Says that he's tired of being in in Cody's shadow and demands a match. It's this Sean Spears thing, again. Uh, So QT can now go heel and we never see him again. What is the deal here? What is the... I'm having a hard time uh, separating the story from the real life here. uh, Because QT Marshall shouldn't be a pushed wrestler on Dynamite? I don't... Brandon Cutler and the Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid. Pac could not attend this Dynamite and Laredo Kid is taking his place. Laredo Kid has uh, been injured or something like that. Uh, Excalibur says something like he's making his return to Dynamite after two years or something like that. But it's like, well, Dynamite didn't exist two years ago, so what the fuck are you talking about? Some great high-flying moves. Laredo Kid hits a DDT on Brandon Cutler and pins him one two three, which was a cool upset of an ending omega decks kid after the match matt calls him off omega says uh seems completely unhinged here talks about the decisions they made and he's referring to leaving new japan uh to to do what they're doing now ask them to too sweet with him the bucks turn their backs and leave the lucha bros now recovered lay out kenny omega good brothers arrive late to quote-unquote save their buddy this was fine uh the the match was really good. It was a lot of high spots. It really uh, would have benefited from having a fucking crowd there to get into it. Uh, but but these men did a did a real good, quick, cool match. And uh, the story here is that the Young Bucks are are, are have gone soft, uh, and uh, they don't want to ally themselves with with Kenny Omega and his his current heel tactics and stuff like that. So this story is continuing to be told. Jade Cargill video package and promo calling out Red Velvet. Nia Rose versus Tay Conti will be up next. The main event, Darby and Silver for the TNT Championship, also to come. Brandy Rhodes and Cody's special project is revealed. They will be getting a TV reality show, not unlike Ms. and Mrs. Uh, so if you can't get enough of Cody and Brandy, uh, check that out. John Moxley is backstage with Eddie Kingston, who is nursing a broken something or other. Tay Conti uh, pulls this one off here in this match. Uh, Nyla too arrogant too arrogant with uh, some some really shitty pins. Sheeta rescues Tay Conti, who was beat down after the match. Matt Hardy and his crew strike after the match, I have written here, which is from a completely different match. My notes got all messed up. So yeah, the John Moxley-Eddie Kingston thing, they call it good brothers and uh, the, the situation there. Eddie Kingston will be sidelined with a broken leg, I assume, in storyline. Uh, Tay Conti is awesome, gets a cool win here. Moving on. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, Matt Hardy is hanging out after the match uh, because Dark Order comes out to... What the fuck happens at the end of this match here? No, that was that was at the end, wasn't it? That was the chaos at the end of the show. Yeah. Well, a line, just a random line of notes got mixed in here. Matt Hardy strikes and beats the shit out of Tay Conti. No, that didn't happen. Uh, they they showed up and Bunny attacked. Yes. Yes. Bunny, Sheeta rescues Te Conti, Bunny lays out Sheeta, and Matt Hardy comes out, one of two times Matt Hardy interferes here after a match, and says that the women's tournament was shit because the Bunny wasn't in it. There you go. Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy kept Penelope Miro video package. They are going to have their match surrounded by video games next week or whatever the fuck is going on there. Let's get that over with as soon as possible. Uh pretty loaded show for next week, that being said. They run down the existing card. Scopio Sky gets a quick video package before the main event. He will face Mike Seidel on a Dark Elevation Elevation. Elevation this Monday, aka yesterday. Uh, so you already know what happened in that match if you care. Uh, John Silver, supported by the Dark Order, Ragdoll's Darby Allen works feverishly to do damage before the first near fall. We had to picture-in-picture and slow things down. These two faces have an incredible match of moves, working a mile a minute, most moves per second I've seen. Sting comes out with his bat to keep the Dark Order at bay, though they weren't really interfering in the match that I saw. Darby with a stunner, blocked by Silver with Anna Jay's hold, uh, like a rear hold. Silver selling his arm. Starts working with kicks, Darby with some super armor powers out uh, of some strikes, Silver tries something from the top rope, is pushed back and lands on his bad arm, Darby coffin drops onto the entire Dark Order at ringside, back to the top, Darby gets his leg on the ropes. Uh, and kicks out for a near fall after a drop from Silver. Darby reverses a powerbomb with a code red and pins Silver 1-2-3. Fantastic match. Sting wanders over to Silver after the match and pulls him to his feet. Darby offers a fist bump. Silver accepts a show of respect between these two faces. Hardy pulls Darby out of the ring. This is what was fucking me up. Uh, and uh, Hardy, the, the whole family strikes and there's complete chaos as this breaks down. This is a completely fine episode of AEW Dynamite. Maybe not as sound all the way around as uh, as last week's was. But, thought it was fine. Uh, we're marching towards WrestleMania over at WWE. Peacock is busy editing uh, and censoring content before it is re-uploaded to their servers of the WWE Network. I'm to understand the WWE Network in the United States is a complete shambles right now. Uh, with people basically being forced over to Peacock now at this point. With all that content not being there. Uh, So it's like, yeah, you'll, you'll get upgraded to Peacock for no additional cost, but you won't be getting the content you already were. It seems like a mess, especially if it's going to be delayed by NBC meticulously going through decades of pro wrestling content to take anything questionable out of it. Oh my God, that's impossible. That's fucking impossible. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on Peacock... On your streaming WWE Network. You've got Hulk motherfucking Hogan. A shoot racist. Will be hosting that show in a, in a few weeks here. But let's go back. And let's take out some, some references and some visuals. That's so fucking asinine of them to be doing. Who do you think you bought? Are you not familiar with pro wrestling? You're going to have to watch every fucking show. To take some of the stuff off of there. Think. Stop and think. No matter what era... Of, of wrestling fan you are Stop and think about Some of the stuff That you think about On a regular basis we you're like Well no way that'd be on TV now But then you look at The Alexa Bliss Randy Orton shit From the past few weeks And you're like It's not it's not better It's as offensive Maybe we aren't Doing racial stereotypes As much as we used to However Yes we are <laughs> it's, it's, it's all still there It's all baked in And what Disney Plus does And I will rarely Give a uh Not of the cap to Disney Plus, but their message of just like, hey, yeah, this was made in a time. I just started Yak as a three the other day, and it also had some like, hey, this was made in 2009, and some views and some things have have most definitely changed since then. So take it with a grain of salt. This this was made in a different time. Disney does something similar, which is like, hey, this has like a historical uh, significance that that we we want to keep intact uh, to to you know sp- sponsor conversations uh, taking place about why this isn't okay now or why it wasn't then but to simply go in and expunge uh, all that all that stuff from WWE network is is so fucking asinine just don't don't have bought it in the first place Jesus Christ so now you don't have a definitive place to see all this content and tape trading comes back like what the fuck anyway. That pisses me off. Neat the ah, whatever. Anyway, there's so much awful stuff. There is so many hours of things that you, you would want to take back or just slip under the rug for no one to see ever again on that stuff. They will be editing that stuff forever, delaying it coming to to the service for what for it ultimately to get sold to somebody else in a few years. What a fucking joke. Uh, especially of WWE to buy up all that stuff and then to have it compromised in this way, to buy up all those video libraries, to have a complete third party go through it without the context of pro wrestling history and just fucking pick and pull that stuff out. What what happens to this content going forward? Do they get the, the Peacock edits? Is that going to be like a thing now? Like, oh yeah, let's watch WrestleMania. Oh shit, I'm watching the Peacock edit. It doesn't have X, Y, and Z. That stuff is dumb as hell. Korean barbecue, you love it, I love it. Brands and fast food places are trying to market it. (laughs) I don't know what... So, got the barbecue, Korean barbecue burger from Wendy's the other day. In a moment of weakness, I'm like, it's time to get Wendy's. And I saw they had, it's a limited time. And I'm a sucker for limited time, anything. I'll try it and uh, render my opinion on it here at the end of the show. So, this burger's got uh, spiced bacon... It's got pickled onions. It's got a Korean barbecue sauce. It's got hell it's got a Monterey Jack of course Korea, known for Monterey Jack cheese. Not a bad burger. A perfectly fine burger. If this was like a burger week burger. Uh, where people go out, think outside the bun, like Taco Bell, uh, but but do something a little weird, a little a little against the grain, a little uh, out there with a, an ingredient or something they don't use typically. This would be a fine entry into that, albeit a little bland. When I think of Korean food, one of the first things I think about is heat. Is is spicy? So I don't know if I got. Regular bacon in this thing, if there was meant to be a heat factor to this this burger, but it was relatively bland. And I would say, on in terms of spiciness, is a, a fucking zero, if not under a zero. Um, the pickled onions were interesting; tasted like they should. Uh, pickled radish or, or kimchi or something. If you could find a way to incorporate in that that into this burger, would probably been the better way to go. But a weird ingredient tastes good, but it definitely tastes like you know. T- Tone it down 50%. Make it 50% pickled onions, just so we don't offend anybody in case someone accidentally buys this and are immediately turned off by those onions. I thought it was fine. I think they could be stronger. Wendy's bacon, some of the best in the fast food game, easily. And uh, this is no exception. It's great. If it was meant to be spiced or some kind of special edition bacon, I don't think I got it. Uh, But no complaints there. The patty, fine. The bun, great. The Korean barbecue sauce, subdued. Like anything else on this burger that was out of the ordinary. Uh, Wendy's, I've been on the record saying the value menu is the way to go. They're bigger burgers, other than like your your bacon Swiss and your baconator and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't like the amount of ketchup they fucking put by default on those burgers. This has no ketchup, this just has the barbecue sauce. And it's worth your time, except for the price. You're having a fucking laugh. I got a small frosty and a small fry with this thing, and it cost me $12. That's insane. There's nothing premium on this except for a little bit of extra bacon. There's no way it should cost that much, limited edition or not. Uh, this burger, if if someone handed you one, absolutely eat it. It's it's pretty delicious. Uh, but maybe supply some of your own um, uh, gochujang or something. I don't know. We'll fuck, it. add some heat to this goddamn thing. It was sorely missing that. And in terms of labeling it a Korean anything, I think that's a bit of a farce. But that's kind of the that's the joke, right? Like we have Korean barbecue. Uh, beef jerky. Now it's just like what? Okay, it kind of tastes like wh- the sauce you would you would put on kalbi or something like that, but barely. Whatever, fuck it. Anyway, that's the Korean barbecue burger from Wendy's. Uh, a light recommend, but expect a bland burger and expect to pay too much. Cyberpunk got a two point one, rather a one point two update. I wish it was two point one. And uh, it's been a hundred days as of me recording this since this game was taken off the PSN. And uh, I'm just going to close out the show today reading some of the gameplay tweaks uh, to this thing. In a 40 gigabyte update, the entire game is 60 gigabytes on the Xbox. This update is two-thirds of that. Uh, and It's not like it's making the game uh, 100 gigs big. It's just replacing that many files, I guess. Uh, man, I've experienced some of these. And it's, it's very interesting to see a granular list like this. And you can find it at cyberpunk.net. It's a huge list of patches. The NCPD spawn radius for when the player commits a crime has been increased. I don't know what that means. The problem with the NCPD was that they would spawn directly on top of you when you committed a crime. Because there was no pathfinding. So the cops would spawn in where you weren't looking at that time and then were upon you so if you looked away committed a crime and looked behind you the fucking cop was there new steering sensitivity slider add to control settings allows reducing steering speed uh for all vehicles and all input devices uh you definitely need to fuck with the default uh turn radius controls and uh speeds and stuff in this game absolutely big recommend Unstuck rocking rotating feature added to all uh, vehicles. Use the left stick or uh, what have you to engage rocking and rotating to wiggle your your car back upright, just like in GTA. Minor driving model tune revisions to some vehicles to improve steering, cure excessive body roll, and oversteer. Fix an issue where aiming while under the effect of berserk cyberware, move the crosshair with no input from the player. Seems appropriate, actually. Adjusted rate of fire in the helicopter turret in love like fire. Uh, police vehicles will no longer immediately despawn after getting into Carrie's car during Rebel Rebel. I had this glitch and it was hilarious. There's a bunch of police vehicles and Carrie's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And I slide behind the, uh, front steering wheel and then, uh, the sirens stop and all the cops are gone. So that was, a uh, that was in my favor, I guess. Fixed an issue where the projectile launch system had no cool down. This seems very specific. I don't know what the projectile launch system is. I'm assuming, uh, a cyberware uh thing bump reaction for friendly npcs has been disabled fixed an issue where grappled enemies played voice lines as if the player bumped into them using zeta tech blah 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 uh player can no longer cancel fall damage by performing a slide action when they're about to fall from greater heights there is no longer possible to uh perform grill okay okay jesus christ at iceberg podcast is us on twitter leotisca.com is my email address if you want to hear more about cyberpunk there's a four hour long podcast where me and reed discuss it as we play it for weeks and uh, other than that, Public Beta Podcast will be coming up this Thursday, but something a little out of the ordinary. Not quite what we're, we're used to doing. So I, I recommend maybe you you tune into that. And that's just the tits of the iceberg.